My sermon title this morning is Alone with the Alone. When I picked that title for the sermon, I thought it just came out of somewhere. It seemed very appropriate. Only later did I learn that it is a phrase which should not surprise us, has been in use among contemplatives and others seeking solitude for a long, long time. The Sufis in particular, the Sufis called it called that feeling, the experience of loneliness, being alone with the alone. And it's the ultimate sort of loneliness which we can feel even when we're in a crowd. It's a timeless theme. And loneliness, I think, is really at the core of the human condition. Everything else we build on that. And, but it's especially central to where we are in our lives today, having come out of this two-year pandemic which has kept us isolated from the world around us so much and left us fearful of illness, perhaps even fearful of death. I'd like to reflect this morning then on how in spite of COVID, in spite of being cut off from the world of face-to-face -face contact, we might transform our loneliness into a more comfortable solitude. We can understand that solitude as being alone with the alone. I'm convinced that whether we are alone or with others, it's possible for us to find a sense of connection with something that's larger than ourselves. Often we call it the spirit of life. Sometimes we call it life itself, or sometimes simply we speak of it as God, the God of our hearts. To find this sense of connection is to be in touch with the deepest part of ourselves. In the language of Henry Nouwen, our task is to transform the spiritual desert of our loneliness into a spiritual garden rich with resources. We might begin by recalling times when we have felt the closest to the natural world all around us, at the beach, perhaps at a lake, in the vast open plains or in the mountains. Some have found it helpful to begin with something as small as a blade of grass, a single blade of grass. Gradually over time, we can look deeper or higher. Phyllis and I live in a high rise apartment building in a Washington suburb. And even from the balcony of our eighth floor apartment in, a Washington, in that Washington suburb, we must look yet higher to see the top of a magnificent oak tree growing right outside our balcony and well up above our level. We think of it as our tree, for the branches often seem alive with the slightest breeze. I think also of the experience of Howard Thurman. Some of you may recall his writing about his growing up years as a boy near the ocean in Northern Florida. He became so comfortable with the ocean that he found he could stand at the shore, even in a storm with great waves approaching and feel that even if he were washed away by the waves, he would be part of something larger than himself, a sort of coming home. Moving from the vistas around us to the inward dimension of our lives, we enter the spiritual dimension. We sometimes signal this dimension by the greeting Namaste, 
Loosely translated, it means the divine in me greets the divine in you. We may explore this inner world in solitary reflection or one-on-one -on -one with those in groups we belong to or those to whom we're closest. We may also explore it in small groups specifically focused on spiritual intimacy. As fits the nature of our relationships, as we relate to others in a spirit of compassion, it can be part of our own personalities, where in the language of the philosopher Martin Buber, we seek to treat each other as subjects, not objects. Beyond our personal connection with the divine in the natural world and in sharing our experience with other people, we can experience yet a third dimension of the of that namaste greeting as an invitation to explore what some call the God space within us. That space where we experience the life of the spirit, however we understand and name it. These are not easy tasks as we seek to transform our spiritual deserts into spiritual gardens. They can be difficult to talk about. It's much easier to talk about things that are going on in the world around us, things that don't affect us at an emotional inner level. We carry on the tasks and conversations of our lives, even in the presence of our loneliness, while we lock those lonely feelings up inside a shell. We put one foot in front of the other and go about our days. Sometimes we even imagine that nobody could possibly care what's going on inside us. That's how it can feel, but a good first step out of this shell is to stop and look around. So as to open our eyes to the beauty of the world in which we live. Stop, look around. For truly we have been put down on this earth in a veritable garden of Eden. In too many places we have, as humans, have mucked mm -hmm. it up, but still we can see and feel its beauty if we look. I walk my dog at night, I often look up at the stars if the sky is clear, see the moon, and if it's clouded over, I try to imagine the beauty which I know is up there, way above. Walking again in the morning, I try to pay attention to the trees and the grass. For years, I was blessed to walk each day through a nearby park, which had a stream running through it, and as I crossed the bridge over the river, I could look down at the water and see the reflections of the sky above. In the sound of the water, I often felt part of the flow of life itself. Truly, the first step in the spiritual life is to open our eyes and look about. And the second follows instinctively as we say, thank you, thank you. Borrowing from Anne Lamott, our colleague Kate Braestrup has suggested a third step First, look, and then, wow, and then, thank you. Opening ourselves to this beauty is not just a luxury for when we have extra time and feel relaxed. It's part of who we were meant to be, part of living a life that's fully human. We are, after all, unique creatures in our ability to appreciate beauty and even create it. It's in this beauty that we can begin to relax and feel at one with life itself. 
But there's more even than that, more than opening our eyes to the natural beauty of the world. We have, and of people, we have another uniquely human gift, the gift of caring. Rest for a moment in the memory of someone who has meant a lot in your life. Someone who has cared for you deeply. And think, you may not know it, but it's almost certain that you yourself have been important in the lives of other people. Or if you have brought children to the world, that's certain. And certainly if you have a spouse or partner, Sometimes if you have a teacher or other caregivers, the gift of caring is an essential part of who you are as a human being. As we have been cared for, so life invites us to care for others, which is surely our greatest human gift. The inseparability of these gifts of seeing life's beauty and of caring for it is apparent in these words of the poet Annie Dillard, who I'm sure is familiar to many of you, she wrote, and these words are actually in the back of our hymnal, we are here to abet creation and to witness to it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. Now we want to carry these twin challenges further it's wonderful when we can appreciate, experience this beauty firsthand, getting out into the world of nature and out and about among other people. But even when we're shut in by illness or infirmity or by loneliness itself, we can bring the beauty we have known in the past into our mind's eye today. We do this by using two other unique human gifts. I'm speaking first of the ancient Hebrew word, the gift of remembering, literally remembering, putting back together things which have been separated. Parts, experiences which have been scattered. In this way, the beauty we have known in earlier times and the love we have experienced can come alive again for us today. I can't think of an image which captures this gift more powerfully in the words of the poet William Wordsworth some two centuries ago, in which he speaks of wandering through the English countryside wrapped in a cloud of loneliness. When all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze, 10,000 saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. At the time, this it seemed enough that this beauty lifted his lonely mood, and that was it. But he felt revived, he gave it no, no more thought. But long afterwards, he would realize that the mere memory of this vast field of daffodils was enough to do the same again and once again. For oft, he continued, when on my couch I lie in vacant or pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. As it did to Wordsworth, as he wandered in that cloud of loneliness, the beauty of life can come back to us again and again, if we will but 
open our eyes to it in memory. Paired with remembering, we also have a further gift, the gift of imagination. Using this gift, we can bring to life in our mind's eye beauty and love we have not actually known, but which we can imagine. For example, the love of our parents who so look forward to our coming into the world and the joy of those who will come after us, who will be shaped indirectly by the love we give today, even though we will never know them. Can the joy of these memories paired with this imagination not warm our lonely hearts today? Wherever we may find ourselves, these gifts of remembering and imagination allow us to set aside our busyness and enter into what I think of as the third dimension of the spiritual life. They allow us to nurture our interconnection, not just with the universe, not just with each other, but also with that place deep within each one of us, where we come to know with certainty that we are one with all that is. In the imagery of the psalmist, it's the place where if we will let go and be still, we may feel we are being led beside still waters and our souls feel restored. That feeling of being led does not rescue us from death, but it goes with us so that even in the valley of the very shadow of death, we feel that presence and a strength that goes with us and we know that we are no longer alone. Sometimes when I'm tired and worn, the words of Tommy Dorsey's precious Lord come to mind. Some of you, maybe all of you will be familiar with those. Yes, take my hand, I feel ready to say. Linger near when my way grows drear. Lead me home. Sturdily intellectual you, you that I am, I've come to realize nevertheless that there's more to me than a thinking head and I'm not always in control of my life. Though I used to sniff at its sentimentality, I've come to love this old hymn. And I'm happy that it's now in our hymn book. Our seeing and our reaching out and our remembering and our imagination, all these gifts come together to strengthen that place deep within us where we experience a sense of connection with all that is and of belonging to something greater than ourselves. I want to leave you with this. Whatever words, whatever imagery may best help us in drawing on it, there is within every one of us a source of inner strength, a connection. You might even think of it as a mooring. Call it your rock. Call it your spiritual life, the spirit of life, even call it God. Our challenge in the good times in our lives is to nurture this connection, to let ourselves lie back in it tenderly, so that even in the loneliest of the hard times, we can draw on it. By whatever name we call it or none, whether we are introverts or extroverts, we can look to the source of strength within each of us that assures us that alone or in a crowd, we are one with a greater love, a greater love that sustains us no matter what we face. We can be alone with the alone. 
in a solitude that gives us a peace which passes all understanding. We are at home with all that is. We belong.